Welcome to the Blessers of Israel podcast. I'm Matthew Dodd, Executive Director of Blessers of Israel. I'm in studio today with Pastor Rich Jones, and today we want to talk about a very important topic, Pastor Rich. Mm -hmm. You hear it in the news all the time. It's this issue that Israel is an apartheid state, and I thought it would be helpful for those who are watching to get a sense of what's really going on behind the scenes mm-hmm. and, and really kind of defined our terms. I know in the past episodes, we've kind of talked about it at a 30,000 foot level, general mm-hmm. principles, but I thought today it'd be really beneficial to get more granular. I think in order to really understand the word apartheid and the accusation, because that's really what it is, right? I think that there are many in the world that are accusing the government of Israel of an apartheid uh, um, relationship, you might say, with the Palestinian Arabs. But I think let's look at three things today. One, let's look at Palestinian, let's say, Arabs that are Israeli, living within the national borders and are citizens of Israel proper. Then we should look at Palestinian Arabs that are living in the, let's say, what are commonly referred as occupied territories. Mm-hmm. West Bank, although Israelis prefer Judea, Samaria, to call them that. West Bank meaning the West Bank of the Jordan River. Correct. Let's look at those two things as distinct. But then also I think we have to look at, well, how are the Palestinian Arab refugees treated in, let's say, Lebanon? So let's take those three and understand each of them because I think that when you look at each of those areas, then the understanding of apartheid, and whether it's true or whether it's not true, comes to focus. Great. Okay, let's deal with the first one, um, the Arabs that live within Israel. All right. What are your thoughts there? We, we have some experience, because when we went to Israel together, right. uh, we had a chance to listen to uh, an Arab who lives in Israel and, and his thoughts about being a resident, uh, a citizen of Israel. Well, and we've had a Palestinian Arab uh, pastor speak at our church. Yeah. I mean, we have relationships and connections. And, of course, all of those are opportunities for us to get information from, let's say, feet on the ground, what is really happening. And uh, a very interesting perspective from the Arabs living in, let's say, Israel proper. They would be called Israeli Arabs. They have freedom of religion. They have economic opportunity. Uh, they can be voted into the Knesset, the Parliament of Israel. Uh, they job opportunities. They can have job opportunities. Absolutely. They can be engineers, lawyers, they can doctors. Vote, they full can voting vote. rights. They can even serve in the military and the police. Exactly right. Now, by the way, uh, they are not obligated, of course, to serve in the military, but they can choose to. Um, now, in fact... You and I were in Israel. We had an opportunity to speak to a Palestinian Arab uh, journalist who said, um, interestingly, he did not want us to be posting his interview on social media, interesting enough. But his perspective was, I would rather live in Israel as an Arab than in any Arab nation. I have more freedoms. I have freedom of religion. I'm safe. I'm secure. I can travel freely. I can vote freely. I can express, as a, as a journalist, I can write what I want. I can complain about the government and not worry about the secret police showing up at my door. <clears throat> okay, that is one area. 
and better opportunities for his children. Exactly. That's a whole nother topic. It really exactly is. Exactly right. So let's, that's one of the three categories we want to look at. The Arabs living in Israel would say they got tremendous freedoms, more than in any Arab nation. But then we must turn our attention to the area commonly known as the West Bank. Israel likes to call it Samaria, Judea. This is a problem that Israel, I can't say inherited, but they uh, had brought to them when the war of 1967 unfolded. And they were, uh, <clears throat> of course, they, the the uh, uh, nations of Egypt and Syria and Jordan were the, the instigators of that in the sense that they had amassed huge forces. Mm -hmm. Israel did not want that war, but Israel ended it in six days. Then, as a result of that war, they were able to obtain all of Jerusalem, including the uh, Western Wall, and extend their border of control all the way to the Jordan River. Hmm. Right now, now they've adopted a problem because you now have a situation, Israel now faces a situation since 1967 where essentially they have enemies within their border. If we can say border mm -hmm. loosely, because Israel has long held that um, the best solution is for the Palestinian Arabs to have their own country. But that is an untenable solution because you have enemies they call themselves enemies of Israel, right? They are calling for the destruction of Israel. So, From the river to the sea. That is a saying that deserves a lot of attention itself. They say, from the river to the sea, uh, Palestine will be free. Exactly And what right. they mean by that is free of Jews. Yep. So what do you do, right, when you have essentially enemies in your border? And when I say border, again, loosely. They control from the Jordan River all the way to Lebanon, all the way to Egypt. Contained in those borders are Palestinian Arabs who have vowed to destroy Israel. What do you do? But not all, because you do have some that cross over and they come through the different checkpoints. Okay, that's right. So make, in fairness, we want to show that there's a distinction even within that group of Palestinians. That's right. Actually, that is a very important distinction. Not all of the Arab, Palestinian Arabs want to destroy Israel. Um, but there's enough of an element of that. Exactly. And, and here's also, I think, we another topic worth discussing is the internal conflicts uh, within the Palestinians. Been in the news lately. It has A lot been. of uprising. Exactly. Um, but nevertheless, not, not everybody is avowed enemy of Israel. Many of them, as you just mentioned, um, cross the borders. In fact, when we were there, mm -hmm. uh, we went to one of these border crossing stations where there's high security, of course. <clears throat> but these uh, Palestinian Arabs are moving in and out of Israel by the tens of thousands every day. Uh, and it's great economic uh, business. I mean, it's causing Israel to have a labor supply. It is bringing monies into the Palestinian families. That is what Israel would like to see, mm -hmm. a, a relationship of cooperation. But there is a strong element, I, I don't know the percentage, but there's a strong element of Palestinian Arabs 
that would be enemies of Israel, vowed enemies. A lot of them are pocketed in places like Jenin, mm-hmm. for example, and of course Gaza, but that's a whole other topic. But in the West Bank, Jenin would be one key example because there's so much in the, in the news even recently. So there you have the problem. What does Israel do? After 1967, they, the, the, the control that they had now was extended to the Jordan River. You now have hundreds and hundreds of thousands of enemies committed to your destruction under their control. What do they do? And this is where apartheid uh, comes in. The, the label apartheid, mm-hmm. is, is, that's what they call this. What Israel is saying, look, we are trying to control a very volatile, dynamic situation where we have hundreds of thousands of avowed enemies under our control. What do we do? Are we supposed to treat them as equal citizens? And in the past, there have been attempts to, you know, create this Palestinian state, I think six different attempts, uh, where they were granting what, upwards of 97% of what the Palestinians were requesting, but because they didn't get 100%, it was shot down. Well, let me give you a case in point. After the 1967 war, uh, the Israeli parliament voted 100% to give it all back Hmm. in exchange for peace, a peace agreement, a peace treaty, uh, a, a, a real peace. Now, this is important to recognize. They voted to give it all back. Hmm. 100% vote. The Palestinian Arab leadership rejected it flat out right. Shot it down. No, because they would not accept. They, they, at that time, they would not accept peace. They were committed. They were avowed enemies of Israel. They were committed to their destruction. So, therefore, that did not happen. And Israel maintained control from the Jordan River. Again, they're left with this, this really dilemma. What do you do? Right? So that re- remains today. That's why the, t- the term apartheid does not apply. Yeah. But let's talk about another area, Lebanon, for instance. Okay, now th- that's important because it's a great comparison. So tell us about this. You have Palestinian refugee camps within Lebanon, correct? Right, right. And, and it was reported by the United Nations, uh, the Relief and Workers Association, that right. works specifically for Palestinian refugees. They noted that within Lebanon, that within Lebanon, people are restricted there. The Palestinians mm-hmm. are restricted in terms of where they can work. Right. Uh, they can't be doctors, engineers, lawyers. They're restricted in their access to government help. Very interesting. The, these are these are Muslims. These are Palestinians mm-hmm. within the borders of Lebanon. Why are they being treated like that? Are they are they enemy, enemy combatants within Lebanon? What what's going on here? Now this is such an important point because it allows us to make a comparison. Mm-hmm. Okay, so after after the nineteen forty seven forty eight War of Independence, uh, hundreds of thousand Palestinian Arab refugees. Um, many of them settle in the West Bank, but many of them also settle in southern Lebanon, which is the nation directly to the north. So these Palestinian Arab refugees are now in camps in Lebanon. They're Arabs. 
So are the Lebanese. So why are they in camps? Um, well, of course, the, the idea was it was just temporary, right? They're going to, they believe, go back. But the war is done, right? They're not going back. So they should have assimilated them, but they didn't. Why? <clears throat> well, now that is a dynamic question. I think a lot of people, uh, including myself, would say because the Palestinian Arab refugees are a pawn in a very large game. So what you're saying then is they're trying to control a narrative. Well, that is absolutely the key here, is controlling their narrative. But I want to go back to a point you made. Okay. How are they treating these Palestinian mm -hmm. Arabs? Because in, in my perspective, if you want to use the label apartheid, let's, uh, let's look at that. Because here you have... Palestinian refugees living in these camps, Arabs, and they are essentially third-class citizens. They are restricted from employment, uh, restricted from access to full medical care, education, on and on, right? Opportunities are not there. That is the very definition of apartheid, and that's happening in southern Lebanon. And we don't hear it in the news at all. That is not because it doesn't fit the narrative of the those who are against Israel. Exactly, the agenda. The agenda. But this is important for us to recognize. Those are not enemy combatants. They could easily have assimilated those, and they could do it so today, mm -hmm. but they won't. Uh, in contrast, by the way, uh, in Jordan. In Jordan, the Palestinian refugees were also encamped there. But in Jordan, it's different. Uh, those who want can have passports. They can travel freely. They can find employment. They, it's a very different thing. But in, in Lebanon, they're, third, they're not citizens. You can't call them third-class citizens because they're not citizens. Third-class refugees. Mm -hmm. and, and yet they could easily be assimilated, but they're not. So why, do we use, why don't we use the label apartheid there? No, we use it against Israel because of the nations in the world stand against Israel. But Israel is facing a dilemma. What do we do with these enemy combatants within our border controls? We have to contain this threat. We are responsible for the peace and safety of our citizens. Right. So what would you do, other nations? Right. What would any nation do? That's right. If you had hundreds of thousands of avowed enemies inside your border control. This is such an important discussion. I'm glad we're having it because I think our viewers need to understand right. the distinctions that are taking place, but also how this narrative is being portrayed and at the expense of Israel. And that's why we are here, is mm -hmm. that we really want to get the truth out about Israel so that we as a group know how to pray and stand with Israel and her people. That's right. A very valuable discussion. Well, we pray that this has been a blessing for you as well, and we pray that you would also check out our website at www.blessers.org. That's blessers with an O-R-S dot O-R-G. We also hope that you'll take a look at our YouTube, 
mm-hmm. and our Getter and uh, Facebook. We're on now uh, Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Uh, check us out on all those different pages. Make sure you like them, subscribe to them, and share them with others so that they can also benefit from the content that we're producing here at Blessers of Israel. Again, it's been a wonderful time being with you today, Pastor Rich, mm-hmm. and also we're honored that you'd join us today. Remember, those who bless Israel will be blessed. Shalom, shalom.